Welcome back to the basement, fellow music lovers. You're now tuned into yet another exciting adventure on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. Uh, we're delayed one day because Memorial Day, because honestly, why would you be listening to a podcast? You could be out uh, celebrating um, our past by grilling burgers and hot dogs and possibly drinking your own weight in beer. Um, not passing judgment, just saying. Yeah, Sometimes these things happen. Uh, kicking off this week with a, uh, a, a podcast that is near and dear to my heart and maybe uh, near and dear to you guys' heart. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, sent out a little call to uh, Tori Kerr, who at the time was uh, working at the GW radio station and the college radio station, and said, hey, I'm looking for some people, uh, and we need to, to get them on, on the uh, podcast and whatnot. Uh, one of the names she offered up was Quinn Myers. Uh, since that time, uh, Quinn has, has become a near and dear friend uh, to me and a lot of people uh, listening to this. His passion for music uh, is only rivaled by his roommate, uh, roommate's passion for music, uh, Maddie Wopal Gindy. I think I said that right. Um, and, uh, and has, uh, just talking with him and, uh, and more so this year, her, so, you know, has helped change my perspective on a lot of things. But what really, uh, this is all about is, is at some point, um, you know, DC is big on house shows. They, they happen all over the country, uh, but we have a pretty vibrant scene here. And, uh, they lived in a place called Above the Bayou because it was, shockingly, above a restaurant called The Bayou. Uh, this was a rock and roll heaven built for this type of thing. It was a it was a ratty stairwell that might collapse at any minute. Uh, a hidden door that you, you'd have to look at. You wouldn't know there's a thing going on. But then you walk up and, and we'd walk into this room and uh, you would see some amazing bands uh, and just general goodwill and vibes and all that. Um... Rocking the fuck out. That's <laughs> all I am. But it is, uh, to my mind, there's one venue that I have been in in my life. Uh, and I'm calling this a venue. Um, I don't call a lot of house shows, house venues a venue. But this was truly a uh, piece of, of our, our musical history now. Uh, but uh, there's a venue in Alley Cats, much like this. It just had a spirit. It had a feel. It had rock and roll at its very core. And uh, that was above the bayou. And that was largely um, due to uh, Quinn and Maddie and uh, their friend Jordan. I think now works for the 930 Club. I don't know. Um, so a couple months ago, actually a month ago now, I think, uh, they called it quits. Makes sense. They're graduating college. They have to move on. Bigger and better things. Uh, it was a bittersweet affair. Paul and I actually made it out to the very last show uh, where we saw... Level up. Uh, we saw Ferns. We saw Big Hush. Uh, it's a little paper house. You know those guys. Uh, it was a uh, it was a great great time and a good send off for uh, for a great great thing uh, that these guys did. But we weren't done with them, and we said, "Hey, man, you know every every funeral deserves a little. Every death deserves a post mortem." Uh, so I invited uh, Quinn and Maddie over, sit down, and so might talk about uh, not just what they did. Uh, what they accomplished with this, uh, but uh, what they might do in the future. Um, now they're they're real people. They have degrees. They have papers that say they're real people. Um, it was. I, I said this a few times this year, but uh, you know, stuff like this is why. Uh, personally, I do this podcast because uh, great to get to know them, and it was great to be able to sit down and just talk with them and be like, hey. You know, what you guys did was important, and uh, we're really proud of you, and I think everybody listening to this is really proud of them, and uh, can't wait to see what they do next. So, um, if you're ready, if you have your uh, cheap beer, and you've paid your $5 cover at the door, donation, suggested donation, um, I guess let's go. Uh, this is episode number 187 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast, where we're talking with Quinn and Maddie. Ex-proprietors of Above the Bayou. Okay. And it finishes here. Two men enter. One man. It was merely a two-word review. It just said, 
chip sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next one. That right there is a wonderful salad. Oh, you yeah. don't want the hard questions. <laughs> uh, let me get a check on you, Quinn. Check, check. Let me get a check on you, Maddie. Check, check. Paul? Check, check. Closer, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> check, check. <laughs> it's never not funny. What, what are the hard questions like? Huh? On, upon entering your h- household at 723 on May 5th, I saw an underage kid. Smoking a joint. <laughs> like, what is that a hard? Is that a hard question, ladies and gentlemen? That's the intro. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I don't know what the hard questions are. There's the business end of it, and then there's yeah. the party end. It's like a mullet, a little bit, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll find some. Okay, we'll, we'll figure okay. this out. Uh, Quinn, you've been down here many many times before, Maddie. Uh, it, it is much to my chagrin that I haven't invited you down here before. I feel like an asshole, but you're here now. So <laughs> hopefully if it. you're sticking around D.C. some more, maybe you can uh, come on and, and fight me about music with Quinn sometime. I would uh, love to. But we're here today to talk about uh, something that you guys did that just wrapped up that, uh, to my mind, is definitely one I've been living in D.C., but uh, one of the most rock and roll fucking things I've ever seen. <laughs> you, you, you uh, along with some of your friends, created... This space called Above the Bayou, which uh, not an original name, guys. You <laughs> no. lived above the bayou, no. <laughs> but, literally above the bayou yeah. restaurant. But uh, you know, I, I, and again, because I'm an asshole, I, I didn't get to it. After you were doing it for two years, and I didn't make it out. And finally, I forget which show I, I made it out for. I think it was two inch astronaut, yeah. and and saw the glory of what you guys had created. Um, when. I, I sort of know about when this started, but like, I, and I'll, maybe I'll, I'll start with Manny here. Mm-hmm. When was there a point when Quinn came to you and said, "Hey, uh, you ever thought about maybe we should start like throwing shows and completely fuck up our apartment?" <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think the idea was tossed around when we were looking for places to live. Um, I guess in the spring and summer of what twenty fourteen. Right? Is that right? Or 2013? Yeah, 2014. 2014. Um, we uh, were moving out of the dorms and we were trying to find a new place to live. And um, I think every time we looked at a place, we kind of thought to ourselves, like, could we have shows here? And most of the time it was a no. Um, and so we kind of scrapped that from our priorities list. And then we, or Quinn came to me with the idea of moving into this apartment that we now live in um, that was just totally had been ravaged by these like kind of gross dudes for so many years it was like the well i mean i guess we can talk about what it was later but um yeah so it was kind of an idea that it was in our minds and then um when the opportunity really presented itself quinn was like hey can we do this and i was like yeah like go for it let's see it happen um do you want to explain what how the first show came about uh sure so um well I know. So uh, I had booked a show at GW with this band, Literature. Uh, They're like an indie pop band uh, to play. And GW was going to pay him like 600 bucks through the program board. And it was going to be like this fun, free, like back to school kind of thing. And GW, in extremely predictable fashion, canceled the show. And you can say that now because you're alumni. I can, and I can, and would have said it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't have said it before. Um, and it was going to be because it was open to the public. It was going to be the band's DC tour date, mm-hmm. and a week before they they were going to be in DC, they didn't have they didn't have a show, and and like they also lost their six hundred dollar guarantee. So I felt partially responsible, even though I like I don't know. I felt partially responsible. So I was like, I I knew. Th- I got to know the booking agent a little bit, and he knew a friend of mine named Alberto, who is this kind of crazy Puerto Rican dude who has now disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he, uh, uh, he was like, I was like, Alberto, like, can we talk? Can we talk to Chris, who is their booking agent, like about literature maybe coming to play at our house, like, 
they I've seen bands play there before before we lived there and it happened and um it was a Sunday night and uh yeah it showed up we like 40 people came mm-hmm. all all kids we knew no one yeah. right. from like DC general um and we made I, people donated donated really a lot I think we made like 200 bucks for the band well, the the manager was like pretty strict about getting donations. Yeah, from they had the tour manager, and he was like hawking people as he should have been. Um, and I kept waiting for the cops to come, and they didn't. Uh, and uh, Homero, who plays in this band called Go, Go Cozy, he did a solo set to open because we cobbled this together in like three days. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, yeah. We didn't really know anyone at I, that point either. But um, I remember we were down here and uh, in the yeah like taping the podcast, and I was like, I don't know what I should do. I feel bad. <laughs> And, and me and Adam you, were like, you know yeah. what to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know like, exactly what to do. So you could say that Kevin Hill enabled above the bayou <laughs> to happen. I, I did not. I, uh, <laughs> I I just gave it a nudge. I mean, it was always like definitely something we wanted to try, but I think because that show fell through, it really like kickstarted it. Um Knowing yeah. that DC is uh, over the past few years has been a place where a lot of like house shows, house venues uh, pop up. I mean, was was that you guys impetus for this or had you like experienced that before outside of dc i think it is solely from dc yeah Yeah. Uh, i i had never been to a house show before i came to college Hmm. um i think i starting maybe really really starting my sophomore year i started going to shows at paper house the dugout community verse a few random spots here and there and was all places that aren't around anymore by the way right right pretty much yeah yeah um yeah i I think community verse has just moved yeah, it's but it's not. Yeah, it's really it's not, not around really anymore. Yeah. Uh, and the, all those places are not, are not around. And I got to know the people who live there a little bit, and I was always had a better time there than going to a venue, almost right. always. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of that was definitely a model for me. Yeah. Um, and I knew I knew enough to like collect donations and not be a shithead and <laughs> like maybe not pass out drunk when there are a bunch of people in your house and band. <laughs> How many shows did it take you to learn that lesson? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I think I learned it before pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah. Um mostly cuz the first few shows we have were uh, on weekdays, but uh Yeah. But yeah, I think I mean, I I had never been to a house show either. I didn't know anything about it like it, it's such just like I feel like it's this like paradigm that when I try to explain to people who don't know what it is, I, it's like seems very complex, and I'm just like, oh, you just you have to be there or something. Um, so yeah, I, I also I went to Paper House after Quint started going. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess I was kind of peer pressured into going um, by a couple friends, and I like I actually didn't really like it. Um, like the first it can be time, aggressive. Yeah, I like didn't really know what was going on. Um, it was also so far from us, from Foggy Bottom um, on yeah. the Metro, and I, like, don't really drink a lot. And I get tired kind of early, <laughs> so I, like, I didn't love it the first couple of times I went, and then I started going to other houses, um, and also to Paper House again, and, and kind of got it more and, and started to enjoy it a lot more. Um, it, it's weird, bands. because a lot of these have been sold, uh, you know, Paper House, Alex Tebleff runs that. <laughs> Uh, has been an advocate for doing a lot of this stuff. I think has helped you guys out with some shows. Totally. Uh, there, and, but a lot of it. In fact, I remember we were actually talking to him. Andre and I were interviewing him on the back porch. Saw you walk up, and this is like mm-hmm. right when you had uh, started coming on the podcast. And I was trying to make a point because at that time, like the Washington Post was actually covering stuff like the In It Together Fest, and mm-hmm. and a little more attention was being paid to this uh, type of scene that. You know, this wasn't just like a frat party and that there were people there like who really just they got the music and stuff. But I mean, the reality was that a lot of these are just a frat party. It, it is. I mean, I've walked into Paper House, multiple other venues uh, where there's, you know, 15 cases of beer on the floor, yeah. four broken bongs and stuff. <laughs> and, and so it becomes an interesting proposition because uh, that I mean, that's rock and roll. Yeah. You know? um, right. And that's punk in a, in a lot. Not yeah. For, like, in a, it's not, you know what I'm saying. It's like it's not punk, but like people have that idea with punk and being going to a house show and like drinking a ton of beer and smashing shit as like that's the image they have of a house show in a way. Yeah, because it, it's because they think of it as a house party. Yeah. It is. It's it, a house party. Yeah. I well, I like that was something that was really important to me um, throughout the course of Above the Bayou. 
um, was making the distinction between house party and house show. I didn't, I really didn't like when people treated it more as a party and less as a show, um, especially because it was our home. And when, you know, you create the tone that it's more of a party, people don't respect the home as much. They leave their bottles everywhere, get too trashed, Mm -hmm. don't donate, stick around forever. So like that was kind of important to me to make it seem like it was much more of like an organized event and with more of a purpose rather than something yeah. just like a frat party. And part well, of that was not... You know, my, my limited experience with you guys, mm-hmm. I think you did a great job with that. Thank like, you. people seem to be pretty respectful of the yeah. space, but also, like, you know, with the show, you highlight the bands, mm-hmm. and that's what, you, that's what you guys did. If, it, if it's just a house party, then the band is background music to <laughs> people doing whatever they want to do, but people were paying attention yeah. when the bands were on there, and they knew that that was the point of being mm-hmm. there. Right, and something that you stressed more than, than I did was there's a definitive start time and end time yeah whereas a party it's kind of just show up whenever and hang out for however long you want and it's like you know it's like you know now that we're kicking people out right after the last band but right if it's like like an hour after it's like maybe yeah like maybe it's a tuesday night maybe you know get the hell out of here yeah and there was a learning curve on that too I, i we got a lot better at structuring it um our signs evolved i was very into like posting signs everywhere like clean up your your things yeah um like respect the house don't lean on our rickety banister unless i think you... i saw one that said don't vom here i made that one the last the last show. but that oh, is yeah. that was a rule yeah, yeah. don't bother. My, my lawyer really bed. appreciated the multiple really? rickety banister signs. Yeah. I was like, you do not want 20 people leaning on this banister. Right. You don't want one person leaning on it. No. it th- then we won't have any more shows. Like, Right, and we'll be in jail. We'll also be dead in people, jail. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, how, how did you guys balance that? Because clearly there is, there is an element of chaos mm-hmm. uh, when you open your house up to something like that. It's why we don't do them here, right. to be quite honest. Uh, I think it's risky. something that, yeah, it's, yeah, it's risky. I I mean, we can get into that the risk, especially in, in the neighborhood that we're in in a minute, um, and like the arts dilapidated home. But <laughs> uh, I think something that was essential was that there were Maddie and I were vigilant, and then our friend Jordan Groby did sound at all the yeah. shows. Yeah, I think me might have missed one or two out of the forty-two we did. But forty-two, good number. We did forty-two, good yeah. number. <laughs> and um, so that meant. While I was collecting donations and like kind of just like watching people and making like while they were smoking cigarettes or whatever, making sure they weren't like fucking shit up, he was in there helping the bands load out and get the next band in. So he was making sure that they, you know, they have enough vocals and like making sure everything's on, everything's working. Yeah. So like having that, having him, he was like solely focused on the bands and that made it like that was so helpful. And he was an essential part of what we did. Yeah, for sure. Oh, where's he now? Come on. <laughs> he's uh, he's, he's seeing uh, Kenny Chesney yeah, <laughs> as his job. Um, well, I mean, yeah, because it's funny because when I walked in there, I mean, a lot of people have maligned the series vinyl, but it, it got a certain aesthetic, right, mm-hmm. about what you think the rock and roll fantasy is. And I think I told you this, Quinn. When I walked in there and looked up at that stairway and like saw you sitting, at, you were on the landing, yeah. and you were just like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I walked in, and it was literally like the scene out of a movie. Like, yeah. I just walked into the coolest motherfucking place on the planet, and my friend is running it. What the fuck is going on? Right. And then stood at the back of the room and watched like two-inch astronaut and like shred yeah. it. And it was just like, holy fuck. What the, I mean, I know you guys are were capable of this i just had had no clue how effectively like you had executed on it um and i mean 42 shows that's what it is i mean uh but you guys seem to have had a your finger on the pulse of like the right bands to book um i think so yeah i mean i I definitely don't love every band we booked um i think i there were a few that it was like afterwards just kind of eh, or a few that it was like. Was it because you were curious about them and they let you down or was it because you were just like, no, nah, that didn't work out? Partly, partly a few of them. I think I would say 95% of the bands I really yeah, liked. I, I think the ones you didn't like, you maybe weren't the ones to book them. Right. So like we had okay. a, a whole cast. Of, yeah. We had a cast of characters helping book shows. Uh, Alex Tebow was one. Um, 
Brett Isaacoff, who runs DZ Tapes. Ray Brown, who is uh, just graduated high school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Finally friended me back. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave Lesser, uh, who yeah. uh, is in Brenda. He booked a oh, show. Wait. Kevin, you're friending high school kids? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, Ray Brown is probably going to be the biggest rock star to ever come out oh, of DC. Yeah, I'm sure. Like a, or Luke Reddick. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, and like we had this kind of cast of character people were like who else booked shows. Oh, and David Combs, yeah, booked several shows. Who uh, also knows Spoon Boy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you guys were open to collaborating with this whole like scene, it's, right? Yeah. Because a lot of what times what happens is out of town bands hit up people they know, and they're just yeah. like, hey, it's like how it works. Like they're not looking for any venue, in specific. they're just looking for any place right. to play. It's like, hey, and then they would be like, hey, uh, I have this touring band, and they're friends with like Big Hush, and. We can find another person, but can you do July whenever? And it's like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, the DC house show scene is, like, very open to collaboration as a whole, mm-hmm. I'd say. I think it is. I, I like, do think that we, like, I think all of all the people we worked with, I don't know. I, I don't see a lot of crossover between those people working together, mm-hmm. but I think Oh, we you worked... think we were, like, the center of the no, collaboration? No, I don't think we were the center. I just think <laughs> we, like... Would we had an open mind about working? Okay, with yeah, I, I thought you guys did it the best. I mean, recently yeah. I, I reached out to somebody, uh, two people actually, uh, about about getting a band coming through, and they were just asking for a show they'd heard around the scene, and nobody got back to me. Now that's also because I'm an old man, <laughs> and, and so they're like, "Fuck you, you're not part of the scene." But I don't know about that. Uh, but but you know, it's it it was. Uh, but you guys, and partially this just because I know you, Quinn, like always seemed to include like the lineups were always diverse they were always uh you knew you were gonna see something cool i mean i watched i didn't come but i i saw all the things you booked i was like holy shit man yeah and that was all quinn quinn did all the booking and it was yeah. always like you know yeah, curated set lists or th- not set lists bands i think i mean you had a lot of input too uh, <laughs> i think and i think it was a learning curve for me where i think i didn't really think about like until maybe after our like 10th or 15th show, like, oh, like, maybe I should, like, consciously make sure this isn't, like, all dudes playing the show. Yeah. Like, and, like, let's, like, start to think about how, like, we represent, are trying to be somewhat representative yeah. of Cause, the Because at that point, you crowd. have a platform. Like, right. you, you have you have cachet, and you can, like, then use that to, like, sort of influence people. And if you see other venues, like, not doing that, you can be like, hey, right. we're either going to take all these bands or you can help us. And I think it, there's been a huge change across the board where I haven't, I haven't been to a, a show, a, a DIY show in very large quotation marks at the house or at a small venue where it's been, like, four bands of all dudes um, and just, like... I don't know. I've seen I've seen I've seen better reflections of the crowd in in the bills as of late as of, as of the past year. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think it's everyone is it's like yeah like duh that's what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so what uh, in general it ran pretty smoothly though. Yeah, we we kept waiting for something to go wrong and it just never did. I mean never? that spot almost never. That spot is just it's. You know, there was a lot of elements that went into, like... I seem, I seem to recall getting a text, though, from Quinn, like, uh, somebody puked in my bed. Okay. Oh, <laughs> that's the worst thing that ever happened. Is that That's the worst? Oh, yeah, my God. The worst and that thing. was a GW kid, which is why we hate... We hated booking <laughs> shows that we knew GW kids would come to. <laughs> yeah. But, like, that was, like, uh, people throwing up, like, we had... I, yeah, I people throwing up in the hallway or... In my bed. Um, <laughs> it really only happened that's a couple the worst, times. Like, right. It only happened a couple times, like three or four times. And yeah. that was the worst. That was the worst of it. No fights? No fights. No, no fights. Nothing no, really no broken. There were um, a few vandals. Somebody wrote, fuck the police on our walls. Like a year in and i was Matt, so Maddie, that's off. art I was so, <laughs> that's it's art. not that's the thing if you're gonna that's like true rebellion if you're gonna write something on our walls when you're not supposed to like be a little bit more creative i don't know did, did a sign go up like the very next show <laughs> like don't write on the fucking wall no you know i never went that far i did write it on or post it to the facebook event for the last show i was like because yeah. the second to last night somebody tagged a huge tag on on the wall where the band sign which like people have definitely You know, I think sometimes people who haven't been there a lot get kind of confused and just see it as this wall where people draw on and don't realize that it's people who we specifically ask to sign because they've played here. Right. 
And so a number of people have, you know, have drawn something or written, done their signature. But this person, it was like, it was like three feet long. It was like so thick. This freaking tag. I was like, you fucking kids. Like, my fist up in the air. You can air. say that now that you're right. out in the real, yeah. real world. How's that feel? It feels great. It feels great. <laughs> Start telling people to get off your lawn. Right. Yeah, that was that was the the thing that most annoyed me. But honestly, <laughs> if you guys threw forty two house shows and the worst you got was a couple of tags and some right. puke, yeah, that's never fantastic. I mean, ever ne- not once, never. So here here is the anomaly that is our apartment. So it's this like super old building where the landlord. It's kind of like a don't ask, don't tell policy. Like when they don't even have our social security number, they're like, they're like, listen, like when we signed the lease, they're like, listen, look around like this place. We haven't renovated this place. We're not going to like, don't call us when every little thing is broken. Cause like you have to understand that like, this isn't for anyone who's high maintenance. You're going to live here and you're going to live it through the, like the tough parts and call us when something like really bad happens. And like, we won't, you know, do whatever the fuck you want to this place. And like, we won't ask you to paint over it at the end of two years. To, to speak to that, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the it look was on like, Paul's face right now is like, what? It was like, they, they kind of, they, they, I yeah, guess, told us that they like, <laughs> they love to like provide this space for like kind of alternative like college kids. Right. <laughs> they yeah, like that's how they kind of tell it. Tell yeah. it. Like, so, but I think they just don't want to put the money in. Yeah, they're just cheap bastards. But um, I mean, I knew that he, when I heard that, when we were signing the lease, I was like, fuck, we need to take advantage of yeah. this. Yeah. Like, we'll never have a living arrangement like this again in our lives. Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah, like, we can see our breath when we wake up in the morning. You had to sign yeah. a lease? Yeah. I mean, this sounds like it was just like a handshake. Like, no, we like, signed a lease. Here's a <laughs> six-pack of PBR. But, let's go. Right. But, I mean, we I knew that, that like, to speak to the history of my yeah. relationship, our relationship with this place, uh, starting my freshman year of college, I went to parties there and saw a live bands play. Yeah, me too. And they were just like these rowdy, crazy parties. You would show up at like one in the morning. Yeah, and it's kind of like psych jam bands. Like, like some psych jam band would be covering like, um, <laughs> yeah. can I kick it? And you would get in there and like, oh. you get in there and like, like someone would. So heady. You would, like, you would it pay, is so You walk in there and someone would just pass you like a, a gin. You were just like, yeah. Oh. And then there was a keg. And, and it you was would like, pay it, $5 and like underage kids could drink, right? And the rumor was that uh, the people who live there would throw these parties and charge five bucks and that's yeah. how they paid their rent. Um, but <laughs> I don't think that's. How but it, it was like I knew that they had this history. I knew that like I knew how far we could take it. Yeah. Without like being shady or like making it place unsafe. Unsafe in quotations because the place again is falling apart. Yeah. Right. Right. Well. So anyway. So it's this apartment where the landlord like doesn't really care what you do to. I mean, to a certain extent. And then there are only two <laughs> other apartments in the building. One person we're friends with who books shows at Comet Ping Pong, Lisa. Yeah. And um, the girl who lived there before that was also an artsy type who, like, was totally for the shows. And then the girl in the apartment below us, also a GW student or previous GW student, is a bartender, works nights, doesn't care um, that we do this. The building directly to one side of us is totally vacant. Like, no floorboards. It's like, it's not abandoned. It's completely (laughs) vacant. Um, the apartment to the the other side is like totally renovated, like really fancy, but we have never once come in contact with anybody who lives there. If they hear us, they like don't care. We don't really know. And then we live on top of a, a restaurant, the Bayou, yeah, that has live music until like two a.m. on the weekends, and and we also live on top of a Papa John's and Subway. Um. I, I, my, my favorite thing was always when people would ask like where it is. I'm like, it's, it's just like, are you paying no attention? <laughs> right. Come on. Well, but I will, I will tell you that <laughs> when I when I came, I was momentarily confused because <laughs> on one side is the yuppie apartment building, and on the other right. side is your door. Right. And it's, the, it your door looks like it's part of the Bayou right. restaurant. Totally. So I was like, yep. Is that just upstairs at the bayou, or is that above the right. bayou? Yeah. That's, and we there, had we had, uh, had, we had several crossover. times where people would come in and start watching the show without realizing where they you were. You can always spot them though. It's kind of like it was like it was like definitely my favorite pastime. Yeah, <laughs> it was my favorite pastime during shows. Like during our very last show, there was this girl like kind of dressed very nicely, like on the phone, like peering in to the living room, like obviously confused, trying to be telling her friends like I'm upstairs. Like where are you? <laughs> there, uh, like I'm assuming they were like I'm upstairs. Where are you? And, and then I tapped her on the shoulder. I was like, Are you looking for the Bayou restaurant? She's like, Yeah. I was like, No, no, this is an apartment. She's like, Oh my god, that explains everything. <laughs> and like, and like when uh, I want, one of our last shows, I think when pre played last time, 
and Louis Weeks played. Yeah. Um, there was this couple there, and they, I was like, you guys are not here for the show. Like, you could just tell by looking at them. And then before the last band comes up, they come up with drinks in, in glasses. I'm like, where the hell do you get those? Yeah. They're like, oh, we were at the bar. Yeah, yeah, that's like not cool. I was like, I was like, oh my god! I thought that was it. I was like, this is how we get yeah. fucked. Like, like people bringing drinks up here. Right. But we, we were fine. We still, have yeah. the, we still have the glasses. Right. Yeah, so. they're nice glasses. <laughs> nice glasses. <laughs> they're like the yeah. heavy like Scotch glasses. <laughs> um, yeah, because there's a patio at the Bayou too. So all these like yuppies are sitting there watching like tons <laughs> of like hipsters like <laughs> go into this like nondescript like stairwell. Just like over and over again, they get curious. They come upstairs, um, and you know the Bayou also knew what we were doing to a certain extent. We like had a conversation. A manager, oh, really? yeah, kind of early on, um, we got a comment on our event page for a show that said from the Bayou restaurant that said, "Please don't use our name in any of your like like pub- publications that, that's why it's or whatever." For no, so so then at. At the end of that same show, like everyone was clearing out. I was like cleaning up bottles. Uh, one of the managers from the bar came upstairs and he's like kind of an awkward dude. And he was just like kind of standing there like looking around. And I was like, hey, like, what's up? And he was like, oh, I just wanted to see like what this place was like. Like, what are you guys doing? And I was like kind of trying to like gauge what his feeling was, like if he was about to be upset or if he was cool or whatever. And so I like totally downplayed. I was like, yeah, just like, you know, fun party with with the band playing for our friends, whatever. Um, <clears throat> and then I was like, you know, don't worry about the name. We're going to change it immediately. Like we're not attached to Above the Bayou. And he was like, oh, he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, on our Facebook page. And he was like, oh, no, that was another manager. I want you to keep the name. Keep the name. Like, if anything, it's going to give us more business. Tell, send people yeah. down to the bar after the shows. You know, get some drinks. And, With you know, their I don't, fake IDs. Exactly. I, maybe they gained some business from us. Probably not right, that much, right. but definitely some. Um, I want to talk about the uh, the cover charge. Sure. Because this has been, uh, it's recently hit the news about artists who have benefited from this house show scene, not just you guys' place, but the house show scene in general. Um, and saying that, like, say the five dollar cover, the ten dollar cover is is not sustainable anymore. It's no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, from you guys' experience and talking with all the bands you had through, say four, what's forty two times four? Is that about that four per gig about? Uh, about four bands. Yeah, we so, repeated so a lot three. of local bands. Yeah, though, um, yeah, but like, bands. yeah, so a lot of people so played close twice. Close to two hundred bands. Well, a lot of people played twice. I think closer to a hundred bands. Okay, probably. What's you guys feeling about that? And like, what, what, did, what, what sense of like, did you get from the bands that, the, that this is like actually a good thing, or mm-hmm. they were just like, this is exposure, and I get to hang out with Quinn and Maddie, mm-hmm. right? So we almost never paid local bands. Um. Almost never. We explicitly would. Is that give, part of the house team code? It totally. is. Yeah. It totally is. And um, I don't know if that's a flawless code. Uh, I think that that is something we like a discussion we have. Like maybe we should give some of this money to um, local bands. But sure. we almost never did. Um, we gave we would give all the money that we donated uh, at the door uh, to the touring bands. And that is based my understanding of why I did that, we did that, was because that's based off of this very loose, un- informal, pay-it-forward kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Where if two local bands play with two touring bands and all the money goes to them to cover their tour costs, then in the future, those touring bands will help them get a show in their town and yeah. all the money will go to them. It's and I think it's, it's not a perfect pretty, science. I think it's a pretty well-understood rule, though. Right. right. And I, 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 many times, local bands would be insistent on us giving the money to the touring bands yeah um yeah because they've been in that position before and i think i think we average around 200 bucks a show maybe a little more so 42 shows that's like somewhere between nine and ten grand um you mean 200 bucks a show per per touring band no per band total and maybe you think maybe i think it's more okay might be more yeah uh but especially with the last shows but um but some nights, like we would have, some nights we would have one touring band and they would make four hundred bucks, 
And then that's where they have two, and they would only make like eighty each. Right now, how much is a touring band gonna make coming through playing exactly. like at the back room with uh, Black Cat or DC Nice? See, that's the other thing. Re- like, but, like, what's the number? I, I don't know. You might know. I think it depends on again how how draw. Say they play to fifty people, mm-hmm. yeah. I think they're probably they probably make two fifty, two hundred fifty, three hundred bucks maybe. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of if they're lucky because a lot of mm-hmm. these places screw exactly. you for like charging for the sound mixer and the security right. and whatever. Totally. Every, staff every cost place is going to charge that. So, totally. like, yeah. like, like, do you really clear two hundred dollars if you've only got fifty people there? Right. Like, I mean. The house show, you know, the the five dollar suggested donation. It might not be a totally ideal wage for the touring bands, but I think relative to, you know, the professional venue, at least at that size, mm-hmm. it's probably better to play a house in, the, in a lot of situations. And the I think the most important thing to say is that most of these large venues just wouldn't book <clears throat> these bands. Right. They wouldn't right. give them a show. Why do you think that is? Because draw? Uh, draw, and I think part of it is a lot of people who come to the house, the house, a house show wouldn't go to a venue. Right. And and it's also... <laughs> for that band. It's also yeah. kind of a niche, like, not genre, but like community, I guess. Right. They want to come to a show. I mean, and like, people want to come to a show where they can see like 20 of their friends, they can smoke cigarettes and drink right. beer and throw right. five bucks in the band. Yeah, and underage people especially I would prefer to go to house, show, house shows. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, Obviously. And and that prevents, I mean, you know, you have all ages venues. Right. Uh, although that used to be exclusively hardcore. Mm-hmm. And so if you weren't into that, but were into music, you were fucked. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, is it, a lot of the bands that I saw come through you guys' place were, uh, to, to throw a blanket term on it, was viewed as like uh, blogger bands. Mm-hmm. Do you do you see this as like its own ecosystem, like underneath the ecosystem, like sort of like a farm system, a cultivation system, where bands? Because in Quinn, you and I have talked a lot about this, like because you've been down here a lot. Uh, bands trying to make it today, you don't just because you're making a thing doesn't mean you have a career. In fact, it likely doesn't mean you won't have a career. Right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you shouldn't make the thing. And all of a sudden. Like in D.C., with it as vibrant as it is, Richmond is vibrant. I mean, it's it's everywhere. It's It's been going on for decades, but you have this system that can push people through that maybe wouldn't be able to live the rock and roll dream, as it were. Is that something you saw in the bands coming through your place? That's an interesting question. I th- Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there was a wide variety. I mean, a lot of the bands we had were just like, kids in college or right out of the college who were just like fuck it like this like this summer let's go on like a 60 day tour it's like mm. what else are we doing like, like ferns <laughs> yeah like, who were awesome ferns yeah, uh, like they, they fired great. the guy in the band right this band tomato <laughs> I like dodgers ferns a lot those guys were awesome yeah. Yeah. yeah they are um you know like and but at the same there were also bands um who are trying to make it this this their this is their career mm-hmm. and um i think uh, there were like a handful of bands where playing out of our house just coincided in their careers with being one of the last house shows they will ever yeah, play yeah definitely. At, towards the end um and that's not to say our that's not unique to our house venue that's mm-hmm. just a timing thing i'm sure it happens sure? every i don't know i think so i mean i mean i i mean with bands like level up it's a little different because we have the personal relationship with them right. but um i think for some local bands maybe Bands okay. like Too Much Astronaut, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you see a little bit. I mean, remember when uh, just a few months ago, Lucy Dacus played Bath of Republic, yeah. and now she's sat on the couch. Thirty clubs. Yeah, so. sat on the couch. Really? Yeah. She's uh, but but she's going back to DC Nine. Yeah, she's going back to DC Nine. She's hitting this tour pretty hard. That's three DC dates in the last like five months yeah. or something. You, like you can that, tell Paul so. didn't listen to the podcast and doesn't because he would know why because he works hard, Paul. <laughs> I, I didn't say she didn't. I know. <laughs> but that's, it's a good point. I mean, I, a lot of, I think like a lot of time, sometimes we got stuck in this like buzz band thing where we would book buzz bands, or, like, yeah. um, especially coming out of this like very specific strand of like new york and philly scene yeah yeah um and i think part of that was because i just had known a lot of people who were in those scenes and i liked the music they were and playing. also yeah you like this stuff and right. then this was the next wave and it was like and i just i didn't it was the next wave and i did, did you guys ever feel an obligation to book stuff that you just 
absolutely didn't like? Did you feel, did you like look at like, hey man, we're doing this mm-hmm. and maybe this is going to have to be bigger than what we want? Because it's it's cool oh. when you're booking something like, fuck yeah, I got that band to play in yeah. my living room. You mean like a, not necessarily a band that we don't want to play, like don't like, but you mean a band right. that we, we don't, you were just like, we oh, don't want okay, that much. This, this would help them out. And this, yeah. and, and, oh, and they might be a big deal. One yeah. Day. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. We, um, we definitely, like, we tried to, for the past year, after having a crazy 2015 summer, um, we, mostly I made, like, a hard and fast rule of two shows per month. Yeah. Because otherwise we just got burnt out. Um, but then it, it inevitably happened a few times where, you know, Quinn would get an email for bands that we, like, love or that just, like, really deserve to, like, have a date or like w- would be a really great show and, and like we, we want just, like we, they're gonna play we DC we want them to have yeah, we, we, we want them and right. we don't turn we didn't turn it down and and we did it and I think to go back to your question there were bands that we had booked pretty early on like over a year ago this band Palm played our house mm-hmm. yeah and then last fall they released this album it was very well received and then they came back in November uh, and I knew that they were getting all this attention but I also had they booked them before and loved them and seen them a bunch of times at a bunch of houses, so that was a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, and you know the Northeast like DIY community can definitely propel artists to the next level. Um, like uh, I would say a handful of of bands who played our house maybe one or two times over the past two years have more recently played bigger venues in dc right. like dc9 or comet or black hat, um yeah. yeah or black hat or and like club. often we have those conversations with them where like next time you come to town like try to get a gig at, at these venues you know keep moving up the ladder like we love having you at house shows right. but this is what you want as a career so this is what you should do right and i think that is there is something unique to the like maybe richmond to boston that Mm-hmm. seeing that mm-hmm. and we there there's a whole podcast in there like why that is like why does that well, because scene, everything south of richmond sucks ass that's why <laughs> why does that scene propel everyone in between too in new york why does that scene propel people seemingly to this like very fast right like other than <laughs> like, other parts of the country and i think there's like there's a lot of reasons there it's um, uh, 95 and 81 it's an interstate yeah it, it's easy yeah. to tour it's easy to do weekend right. tours it's not distance between cities once you get past Richmond, you know, it's like four hours down to yeah. Raleigh, then like six hours to Charlotte, then, you know, and then if you try to go to Georgia, I mean, what the fuck are, mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck's even going on? Um, yeah, yeah, and it's always been a good, like, tight circuit um, that historically supported, like, punk bands. Yeah. I mean, and if you want to be reductive, like, bands like Fugazi. Mm-hmm. That's how they did it. Right. They just like like New York, Dog, DC, Dog, Richmond. They played like DC, Richmond, they played, DC they New would York, play a city four forth. times in six months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what uh, now that you guys are all uh, all educated and grown up <laughs> and graduated? <laughs> so, uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, what do you think you're taking away from what you guys did here going forward into what you're gonna do? Like as careers? Well, not not life? even as careers. As you know, the thing about you can either have a career directly in what right. in this, or you can have a career like you're never going to lose your love for doing this. I would mm-hmm. hope, like you wouldn't. That would make me sad. But what what do you see you guys like in the next few years doing with what you learn from this? I mean, I think just the the thing that mostly comes to mind is what I would look for in a place that I want to live in the future um, yeah. when I leave DC would be. Um, looking for a community that, you know, cultivates the the kind of community that DC has and, you know, that maybe has house shows or is just puts an importance on local community as kind of like cheesy as that sounds. Um, I don't really know if I would, I, I definitely don't want to go into like the music industry, maybe hospitality. I think it has informed my um sort of my desires for a career a little bit. Um, I know that I, I like to be the organizer, the manager, whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think personally I am just a way more confident person. 
when yeah. there's like 80 kids in your living room and like you like you like and you are responsible like you, are you have crying to... on the inside quinn <laughs> <laughs> i'm crying so hard um but and just like like getting it like also i mean it a lot of the, a lot of that was because it coincided with the time of my life of like growing up um but i think i have a way less tolerance for people's bullshit and i like know what i like now i or better at least and yeah. if, if like i don't want to do something or i don't like something why the fuck am i going to do it um right. and booking shows in our living room definitely help propel that yeah you learn a lot when you're like when you are the one who holds the power when you're the one that people want something from and you only have like a finite number of, of things to give back yeah, I don't know. I guess you like and learn to not feel terrible when you can't stretch yourself so thin to like satisfy everyone. And, yeah, yeah. I, and I'm great. I'm really grateful for just the relationships that came out of this. Oh um, yeah, definitely. With, so really, like, yeah, getting the bands in New York and wherever, but really making meeting people in DC. Yeah. Um, because I would not be as close to people as I am now if I hadn't their band hadn't played in my living yeah. room like and, three times or like all these all this like i you know it's just like it uh if you spend enough time with someone and you are doing this weird strange thing in a strange neighborhood right and you like kind of bond with people really easily and everyone's drinking all the time so yeah. that's it I mean, <laughs> that is the recipe for success right. this right here was like the coda for life right there <laughs> yeah don't do things you don't want to do don't stretch yourself too thin and drink all the time so <laughs> yeah. and like creating a life outside of gw george washington university where we went was like so amazing and fortunate because it's um for those who aren't familiar gw is a fairly insular place yeah. in a very affluent part of town with kids who are very affluent and privileged um and i i just don't wouldn't really care about this community like would would not be into it so you know kind of creating value for ourselves like out in dc as like a city and as a community outside of our campus I think was really important to us and it was like very rewarding for us. Yeah. This, this like saved me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, from, I don't know, like a lot of things. Didn't save me from being a douchebag. Nothing could have saved me from that thing. And it saved me. And I hope, I hope it like gave the kids who were like us at yeah. W who yeah. didn't want to go to frat parties anymore, like a place to hang out and, I know it did for a few people, and yeah. that really, like, warms my heart. I definitely felt like we were passing the torch, like, inspiring the younger generation, <laughs> even for people who are a few years younger than us. Right, because everyone complains, right? Yeah. But, like, maybe do something about it. Right. Yeah, like Fort Reno. Yeah. <laughs> I, saw, <laughs> I saw those tweets. <laughs> um, well, th thank you guys for uh, for doing what you did. And as, uh, I'm an old man, Paul. You're sort of an old man. You're getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, <laughs> just the two shows that I went to are some of the the greatest things I've enjoyed in my life. Uh, and uh, and Quinn goes without saying, getting to know you has been like amazing. Likewise, so. and I think it's been over two years now. Yeah, it's yeah, like for sure. I like view that part of my the past years as like significantly different from the first two years of me living in DC. It's like a whole. It's like a one eighty. Yeah. yeah, it's been you've been part of it. Yeah, but you guys crushed it. So uh, Thank thanks you. for that, and uh, good luck in whatever the hell you're gonna do. It's gonna be good. I can't give Thanks again to uh, Quinn and Maddie for not just coming down here um, and hanging out, especially Quinn for coming down a lot uh, down here. Um, my talks with him, and I think Paul will concur with this, have meant the world uh, to all of us. 
but also for uh, for doing what they did with Above the Bayou and with GW Radio and just being, uh, as uh, a phrase Louis Weeks likes to use, uh, great friends to the music. They uh, takes people like this to uh, push us through whatever sort of transitional phase we're in so that music will once again rise up and people can make a living doing it and people will enjoy it and and people will explore, which I think was the greatest thing about Above the Bayou is, you know, sure, you can read the flyer and see who you're getting, but you really never knew what you were going to get. And, uh, you know, the few times that I was there saw some amazing performances by some bands that you'll be seeing uh, soon in bigger clubs and bigger venues. Some play- some bands you've already seen in bigger venues. So uh, thanks so much to them. I cannot, uh, and I mean this uh, from the bottom of my heart to both of them, I cannot wait to see um, what they do next. And I am uh, super proud of them. So good job, guys. Uh, if you are a longtime listener of this podcast, you know we don't get out before uh, playing you a little track. This week is no different. Um, and uh, the band we're going to play is an older band, but I think if Above the Bayou had been around back then, and I'm sure they played gigs like this, uh, they would have been a perfect fit, and they would have been playing there, maybe even like once a month. Talking about Pylon from Athens, Georgia. Uh, this four-piece was around uh, right around the um, time R.E.M. was coming up, like pre-Murmur, like Chronic Town, and uh, through a good part of the 80s. Uh, they, they, they never quite hit it. As big as R.E.M. or even close to as big, or the B-52s, for example. Uh, but, you know, that scene around there, um, you had them, you had, like, Love Tractor, uh, like B-52s, just a whole slew of bands uh, that were all sort of vibing on the same sound, a similar thing uh, going on. Um, and and being a, a older person and remembering all this, uh, they fucking killed it. They were, they were the dancey band uh sort of like dance punk if you will early proto dance punk and um you know they they had their time and and then they sort of were gone and people have remembered them occasionally and forgot about them but now we're in an upswing so people are 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 about to uh rediscover the genius of pylon uh they have a double live album coming out i believe it's out in july um they just released a track off that called volume and uh it is uh Everything you you can hear again, it, it's proto indie rock. You can hear everything that we're doing today, way back then, um, mixed with the stuff that came before that. It was I, I know the Athens scene is coming up again now. I know our friends Roadkill Ghost Choir live down there, but it's a very different vibe. Uh, there's something magical about that town. If you haven't been there, uh, I, I suggest go there because it is just it's conducive to music. It is conducive to art. Um, and it is uh, tapped into some some universal energy that uh, implores people to make good shit. And Pylon certainly did. So uh, let's hear a track from this. Uh, this is uh, Pylon, and the track is Volume, and is off their upcoming uh, double live LP.
Pylon is the name of the band. Rocking Your Fucking Face is is their M.O. Uh, if you enjoyed that, I implore you to uh, look back through Spotify. I, you know, I, I don't know if they're even on a lot of these streaming services. I'm going to research it and put it in the show notes. Uh, but if they are, I implore you to look back uh, on that and uh, look back at all those bands back then. It, it's amazing, you know, when you mix punk with the birds, which a lot of this was, and... Uh, you take a guitarist like Peter Buck, uh, which people emulated across that scene. Uh, it is a remarkable and uh, and still relevant today sound that um, that, to my mind, hasn't been replicated. You got you got stuff like it, but yeah, I think you you heard that and you can hear all these favorite bands that you know now. They're like, whoa, wow, that was going on way back in like the early eighties. Like, yes, yes, it was, and it was awesome. So. If you have a time machine, go back there. Go hang out at the 40 Watt. One of the best clubs in America. Um, that's our podcast for this week. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to us in iTunes now. You can subscribe to us or listen to us on Google Play, on Mixcloud. You can uh, still subscribe to us and listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, if you want to leave a review or a, uh, or even a few stars, let us know what you think. You know, we're, we're starting to expand... Uh, our format a little bit here more and more people as you're, you're going to hear coming up in the next podcast uh we've got a guy who's a friend of um eduardo who you know very well and uh and a guy named ryan who you might know from uh Turu Turu, amongst other things and uh you know it as we get near our 200th episode we're we're, we're sort of rethinking things like how how we do this and what the point of this is the point of it for me, and I think for the people we do this with, is to have conversations with people of all, like, ilks of music fandom. And so uh, so that's what we're trying to do. So I don't know if it's going to be just me and a few other people, or maybe it's going to be me and you might hear, like, 30 other people by the end of the year is out. If you are one of those people that would like to talk about this, like, reach out. You can hit me up on Twitter. You can... Uh, Text me. My number is right on the site. You can email me. It's Kevin at ChunkyGlasses.com. If you find this voice intimidating, you can email Eduardo or Paul. They're a little softer, a little gent- gentler personalities. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're doing this because uh, this conversation exists and exists in all of you and uh, as well as us. And it's, uh, it's a great thing. So. That's our podcast for this week. We will talk to you in a few short days when we're talking about Day of the Dead. Uh, Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. We'll talk to you later.
<laughs> <laughs> Kenobi.